ride with me in my foul life. Podcast world, what's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Excited for this one. We are going to do a little different today. We're going to do a deep dive. We're going to take something that has become what I have considered the Bible per se of the American waterfowl hunter for the last 10 years. I know that when I get the wildfowl gear issue, it usually comes sometime in July and August. And when we open that, it's kind of like our referral program of what's new, what's out there, what are the manufacturers doing, what do the print ads look like, what are the details on the new duck calls, the mud motors, the boats, the guns, the ammo, the apparel, the decoys. And Wildfowl has done an awesome job of giving the reader, the end consumer, their potential customer, just this book to go to throughout the entire season of recommendations and reviews and details, like I said, on all of the products that have become mandatory or become a go-to for many of American and Canadian waterfowl hunters, both duck and goose, diver ducks, puddle ducks, doesn't matter what source you're going after. It's uh, it's become the Bible. Is that fair to say? One of my guests is, today is the editor-in-chief of Gundog Magazine, I believe, Predator Nation Magazine, Wildfowl Magazine. He's the one and only Skipper, Skipper Knowles. Skip, how are you, buddy? Very good, sir. Good to see you. I don't run gun dog, but you got the rest of it right. Yeah, uh, you got the rest of it right. Skip, am I onto something there with with that? This magazine right here has it become a bible? Um, and I don't know if I should say that word with people on the line from the South because I'm not trying to sound derogatory, Kelly Powers or Josh Dawkins. But this has become the Bible of duck and goose hunters, has it not, Skip Knowles? It absolutely has. It's something everyone looks forward to every year. And it, um, it's just, we, we have worked so hard. It's the most gear intense sport on earth, I believe, certainly in the hunting world, waterfowling and, and the opportunity to come together with this grand amalgamation. It captures everyone's passion and has a ton of inf- informative stuff on tactics and how to trying to make everyone better hunters and, and learn from it as well. And then provide an aspirational aspect like, you know, a just get your blood fired up about going new places and seeing new things. And number one, of course, is, man, you just look at all that gear and get so excited. Just the duck call section alone can get your heart thumping if if you're washed in the blood, you know. No, I agree. And our other two guests today, we're humbled to have Josh Dawkin from Banded Brands and Kelly Powers from Final Flight Outfitters. I've known both of these individuals for a long time. Um, Josh, I'm going to start with you. You're born and raised in the state of Minnesota. You now make your home in the capital of duck hunting, in my opinion, in the state of Arkansas. You're a few hours from the Grand Prairie as, as the crow flies and as a car drives. Do you agree with what I just said? When you were living in Minnesota and coming up, did you look forward to that mailbox opening on that day, kind of like a big game hunter does out west and sees that mule deer tag in there? Did you always look forward to this magazine? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the the start to the season, so to speak. Mix that with uh, catalogs like what what Kelly's uh, store there will send out. Those those are the things that kind of get you geared up for the year for for sure. And Kelly, being in the state of Tennessee and you're in the retail game, um, what you're a hunter first and foremost, though. You're a game caller, goose world champion, awesome duck caller. Did you look forward to that magazine every year? Yeah, absolutely. Because not only, you know, from the industry insider, we see a lot of stuff at SHOT Show, but the average consumer doesn't have those, ob- you know, they don't have those opportunities. So when the gear issue comes out, I mean, it is it, it's a first look and it, it, it gets the blood pumping and gets you excited for the fall uh, because as, as you mentioned earlier, it is a gear driven sport. Um, I mean, gear 
uh, drives enthusiasm. It gets people back excited. Um, and fortunately for this year, is no different than any others. There's a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Kelly, would you say that in your 40-something, 40, 40 maybe 30, late 30s you are, years on earth, do you think that, and as a duck hunter, goose hunter, do you think that apparel has changed the most in the game as far as the ability if you think about the trailblazers back in the 50s the 60s the 70s and what they were hunting in how did they even stay in the field long enough how did they stay dry how did they keep the wind off of them and and survive those elements with today's technology and what you've seen as a retail would you agree that i don't know maybe decoys is right there too but it seems to me that the technology and the innovation and design that's gone into today's apparel for the american waterfowl hunter has just, I mean, it's evolved a hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we'd all love to go back, you know, 40, 50 years ago and hunt in those times. Uh, but I always put a disclaimer. I'd love to hunting, hunt in those days with today's clothing. Um, and you know, I, my dad tells me the stories of going behind our farm shop, you know, and he was with his dad, my grandfather, and literally they would set him on a stump because he didn't have boots to wade. So he would sit there on a stump with his single shot shotgun and just shoot ducks there in the timber all morning, you know, and of course, goodness, I can't imagine even doing that today with those, the clothing that they had back then and not even any boots. Uh, but yeah, from a, from a, for the most part, I would say, and Josh, you may agree here, but the fabrics, you know, is what's really developed. You know, when you talk about hard goods, you know, decoys and stuff like that, you know, you're, you're imitating the real thing. So there's not a whole lot, granted you get better pain and better different features as far as durability, but from an apparel standpoint, um, you know, the, the, the innovative part of different style fabrics, and, and that's moisture wicking, uh, moisture management, waterproofing, uh, all of that, and the four-way stretch with the different fabrics that are, that are coming out with all these different companies. My opinion, that is what is really innovative um, and, and seems like every year there's something new that's, that's great. And, and you, you know, I know you just said Dawkins' name, and Dawkins, he works right in the thick of it. He's he's involved in a, a family of brands that, you know, it's pretty vast, from the decoys to the blinds to the accessories to the lifestyle to the tactical gear for not just men anymore, though, youth and women. And um, Josh, when you go to work every day, and obviously the quarantine's been a little bit different and challenging and li- working at home, but I can tell you're in part of the office right now. Glad to see you back in the headquarters. Does, is apparel something that, that drives your, that, that gets you going, Josh, like a duck call would somebody or a boat might get somebody going? Do you look at the selection on a daily basis when you're working within those walls and get so giddy to see what Kelly's referring to with the new fabrics, the four-way stretch, the innovation? Yeah, for sure, and and I, I would I would echo what uh, what Kelly said too that that um, that really is is where a lot of the the the, the biggest technological advancements I think uh, have occurred at least at least in in recent years. Now, I still get excited about duck calls and decoys and all that stuff too. I mean, you can only look at a, at a at a fabric for so long, and most of the technology in the fabric, like like Kelly, like Kelly described, is 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 microscopic. I mean, it's it's in the membrane bonded between the outer and interior, uh, fabrics. And, um, the, I'll tell you the, uh, one of, it is one of the things that I like the most. It's also one of the biggest challenges. Cause I think, uh, as a, as a whole, as an industry, we have a lot of educating to do on, on the advancements of, of clothing specifically, you know, it's, it's go, go back to those olden days where they didn't have anything 
And then, um, then there was a stage of, of the, the heavier and bigger it is, the warmer it is. Uh, and that kind of carried us for a long time. And, and we found out, we're finding out now that that's not necessarily true, that, you, that the mo- some of the most important things are having that moisture wicking base layer to get the, get the water off of your skin. And then some breathable waterproof, you know, outer shell components and layering, layering's big. And, and, and we're learning a lot of that, honestly, from the mountaineering industry that, that, that where, where it's life and death sometimes when you're climbing Mount Everest and things like that, they really, they really have to push the limits. And so as hunters, we kind of um, are following suit there, but kind of ramble a little bit, but yeah, I think, I think it is the biggest advancement and I think there's so much more out there. And I also think that, you know, we have a challenge to kind of really tell that story more. And when you say the word challenge and skip, you can weigh in on this. Um, waterfowl hunting in a hole, in my opinion, is challenging. I think that there's a reason why it's the smallest demographic. And I know all three of you gentlemen will have your reasonings, but it is intensive, gear intensive. It's expensive. Um, And then you got to have all of the things that go into being proficient of being able to scout and find ducks and geese and consistently find them and have success through calling and decoys and jerk strings and boats and motors and navigating and whatever it is. And then you got the identification process of making mistakes out in the field and how many mistakes could potentially be made by the everyday duck and goose hunter. So there's a lot of laws and regulations that go into being a successful waterfowler as well. But there's a challenge um, out there that of getting new people into this part of the hunting segment. Is that all agreed upon by everybody on this call that it is very challenging to get new people, women involved, kids involved because of the elements and where I'm going with that. Kelly, I want you to start or skip. You start is with the innovation of clothing and apparel. That's a huge advantage that we have right now of saying, Hey, you can stay comfortable and drier and warmer for longer and experience it out there. Even if the ducks aren't flying right away, you're not going to get cold and want to go back per se. Is that fair to say, skip? Oh man, I look at the uh, the outfits that I have for my little children now compared to the the cold rubber boots that I wore. My dad thought the highest evolution of of um, apparel was a pair of rubber hip boots, and I trudged around after him. We always got cold. And what Josh was saying about how we're we're kind of um, adapting some ideas from the alpine community, and that's been going on a little while because that can be a life or death situation. Well, duck hunting can be a life or death situation too. In a in a hurry, it can be extreme, as you, we all know, and we all heard about the. I don't know what year that great storm was that wiped out so many duck hunters. I'm sure if they weren't all wearing cotton canvas jackets, more of them might have survived. But back to your point, there are many barriers of entry to, to waterfowling for sure, and it is daunting. I was listening to some guys on a podcast talk about how small deep decoy spreads sometimes can work, but the truth is bigger is always better. And putting out up to 40 dozen decoys or being able to pay for them and, and having a trailer, it, it is a and as you said, the laws, it's, it's tough to follow everything. The challenge these guys have, um, Josh and Kelly, is to uh, convince people that what they have works. Because like, you can't look at a fabric and go, that's a four-way stretch. It's hard to explain and convey. If I can tell you a little story, <laughs> um, when, when I moved uh, to the Pacific Northwest in the late 80s in my mid-teens, my father was moving us from like South Texas and then Florida. And he was very concerned about the climate. He was super excited about all the hunting opportunities. He had all the ocean ducks, Brant, Harlequin, and inshore. He had the famous Columbia Basin, three species of deer. He was so excited, but he recognized that it could be extreme. And he spent all this money trying to outfit us, kind of beyond our means, um, on very expensive Gore-Tex, new at the time, uh, jackets by, probably don't need to say the, the brand. Um, and super expensive boots by another brand that is still very prominent. 
um, but they didn't know how to use the Gore-Tex. They they didn't know about seams. They'd sew um, and stitch right through it. And then none of, all of it leaked like instantly. I had a $600 outfit as a 15 year old in the eighties and it just, I was instantly wet everywhere. And Gore-Tex pulled back and seized um, the right to propri- be proprietary on the design of anything that they had their product associated with after that. And from like 1998 or so on, you couldn't find a Gore-Tex product that would ever fail. And it's pretty much been that way since. But convincing the consumer that, hey, this stuff is worth it and it works, especially if you're premium, um, is a challenge for everyone in the apparel industry. I'd like to talk to these guys a little bit about how, how what they would tell a new hunter. You're talking about barriers of entry and they look at some of the brands that are so expensive. How would you tell a new hunter you know, what they really need and how much they really need to spend? What, what fabrics are in fact worth, worth it? You know, if, you, if you guys could touch on that a little. Kelly, uh, she won't go far. You make. All right, I'll I'll go real quick. Um, I I would uh, I would say, and this is gonna you, you have to you, you gotta have some trust and an open mind with this. But I, I think that I would I would encourage everybody to start with a with a good base layer, a good merino wool. It doesn't matter what brand it is, preferably banded, but a good merino wool base layer. And I, and I think that that that's sort of the the. Uh, to use the analogy of building a house, that's the foundation. You can't, it doesn't matter what outer shell you have. It doesn't matter what comes after that. If you don't get the moisture off of your skin, water's the enemy in, in comfort, in terms of comfort, um, both both from within and, and from the exterior. So uh, that's sweat. Um, and I would also say that, you know, we, the, the human skin, even just naturally, if you were to put this under a microscope right now, I mean, there's, there's, water molecules on your skin and then you you know you accompany uh, uh some wind in there and now all of a sudden you've got some ingredients for to get cold uh if the temperature drops so i think that it's starting with a great base layer and then building that system um you obviously a waterfowler needs a waterproof jacket i would uh i would also suggest and this is this is also tough because generally uh, the technologies within them are, are pretty advanced and it makes them expensive to be made, but you're talking about something that's really thin and, and it doesn't feel like it would keep you warm, but it will if you use it in, in the system like it's supposed to be used. So I would say start with a, uh, a base layer um, and then I would, I would get a good waterproof shell. There's many of them out there. Um, we make one as well. And then there is a, and then just it, when it does get colder and you need some uh, extra warmth, get that mid-layer insulation piece. But I would trust the system, the layering system. And I would start with, as, as boring as it might sound, a base layer, a good a good moisture-wicking base layer. That's my advice. Kelly Powers, when, when, you, when you go off of what Dawkins just said and, and what Skip's referring to, and we also talked, talked about the intimidation factor, I think another level of intimidation like Skip touched on with the decoy spread is when you open up the Final Flight catalog or you go on to banded.com, it's freaking intimidating. There's a lot to choose from. On top of that, if you do get the experience of walking into a Final Flight or a Max or one of the, you know, the more well-known retailers in the country, it's like a freaking might as you know you you're like it's like a adventure theme park in there there's roller coasters everywhere in there for the duck hunter and there's all these ups and downs of this buying experience how do how do you dock in and, and kelly go first of how do you 
complement that? How do you make sure that when that buyer comes in, because how do you know when you open a catalog what that fabric feels like? Do you have to go to the store and feel it first and then go buy it in the catalog? Or do you have to see your buddies first? How are you guys getting that message to these consumers when there's so freaking much to choose from? You know, uh, and I'll jump in on that. For us, you know, the 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 convenience of shopping at home obviously is is great, uh, but you miss out on a huge element. We call it the see it, feel it, touch it. You know, if I can walk into a store, whether at Max, Final Flight, whichever your closest retailer is, if I can see the product, if I can feel the garments that it's made out of and touch it, uh, that allows you to try it on. It's it's going to fit you and all that. The online experience, you can never get that. Uh, so if you if you have a place you can physically walk into a brick and mortar store, you get that. For us, you know, at Final Flight, we try to categorize things. There's there's different ways that we can showcase apparel. You can showcase it by weight. Um, if you need a, a heavyweight garment or a lightweight garment or this and that. For us, we go the visual aspect. We categorize things according to color. So we'll have your mossy oak bottomlands, your real tree timbers, kind of in the general area, you'll have the mossy oak shadow grass blades, all that. So basically you have your grass patterns and your timber patterns. So when a consumer walks in the store, if they're hunting for the most part out of a pit all season, or they're, they're goose hunting in layout fields, you know, they're going to go to those grass patterns. So visually you've automatically eliminated, you know, half of the apparel market just, just off of what they can visually see in the store. So, a lot of retailers will lump all those together, and to me, it kind of clouds the judgment. So, what we try to do is is to eliminate, you know, eliminate options to steer them in the right direction. So, now that they're in, let's just say they're a timber duck hunter. Now that they're in the bottomland section or real tree timber section, they can go in there. Then they can shop according to weight and all that. Um, and and as Josh will know, what these apparel companies have done from a feature standpoint. You know, if 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 you're a timber hunter, goodness, man, you've got stuff with the shortcut weight or the shortcut length that comes down, you know, above the waist for weighting in water, the way the pockets are featured. Uh, and that's what helps us retailers get consumers excited because uh, I get excited myself when you see a certain weighting jacket that has the pockets that go around to the back where I can put a pair of gloves or put a little, you know, portable jerk cord or different things like that. So I envision myself, how would I, how would that be beneficial for me this fall? And that gets me to go in the store. That gets me to shop as well. So um, for us, that's kind of how we generate excitement and all that. We start it from a color standpoint just to try to eliminate some skews and, and to help the consumer better. And when you start talking about the tradition and the buying experience, do you feel both you and Dawkin, because Dawkin goes to a lot of retail events, is it hard to change the consumer's mind, Dawkin, and duck hunting? Is it hard to take the tradition and the heritage and the history out of it and show a timber hunter like, hey, you might not want to stick with this style of a wax canvas that you've been hunting in because of some of the, the attributes and benefits that Powers just explained? I don't know if I would, I, would, I don't know if I would say it's 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 hard to get them. To, here's what duck hunters care about most, and that's and that's duck hunting. So if if you can convince them that it will help them, you know, kill more ducks or or get in the field and stay there longer to kill more ducks, I think that's I, I think it's definitely doable. Um, I, I do think it's just it's it's uh, it's challenging because, like you said, and, and Kelly mentioned, there's so much and and there's so many different camos and different things like that that you know. Uh, Eliminate simplifying the buying experience is is probably one of the biggest challenges. And then you do have this online component, and like Kelly said, you you can't touch it and feel it, and all those that are important, which is why why we find it important for retailers um, like Final Flight to be there and to offer that. 
So it's, again, to answer to your original question, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough at times, but not necessarily because, because of their mindset. It's just tough to convey all of the stuff that you want to convey to them. So is there such thing as too much powers? Can that jacket have too much? Have you seen manufacturers add too many bells and whistles to where it doesn't make sense anymore and it, it just becomes a cluttered yeah. up system? Yeah, I mean, they've made it too expensive, in my opinion, on on some manufacturers. And, and there's some garments from years past of different companies that, that I felt like are, are great garments, but, you know, necessarily the certain zipper pulls and this and that. You know they could they could trim trim some of that off and make it a little more affordable. Uh, but then again, there is a certain demographic that wants the best and they want those bells and whistles. So it's just kind of the good, better, best philosophy, um, and you kind of offer some of those items. Skip, when when you start thinking about what the the magazine now and how you lay the magazine out and how the apparel is laid out, is it just laid out from? Is it A to Z? Is it alphabetical order for manufacturers? Or do you have a strategy in starting with what Doc and touched on? I want to I want to touch on this base layer system a little bit more because Doc and it hunts, he, he's hunted in the coldest of elements and the warmest of elements. Is there a way to get that to a consumer in this magazine when they open it up this year that, hey, let's start this base layer doesn't have any camouflage on it. This is something that Dawkins just said is right there. And it's one of the most important parts of your comfort level in your hunt. Do you have a way or a process in your mind, Skip, when you sit down to do the writing and the copywriting and the descriptions to paint that picture for that consumer that he might not be able to touch and feel it, but he's he's living through that magazine and that sparks his interest to it. maybe go to a final flight or his closest retailer? Because he's going to have to touch it before he buys it, in my opinion, but maybe not. Not very technical, and uh, it probably doesn't reflect well on my journalism heritage, but we try and go with what it, in our gut is the most exciting, what's the newest, what makes the most sense. I, I have a, I don't like bulky stuff. I don't like heavy stuff. I love stuff that lets you move. And if there's something that, that um, is dynamic and exciting about a product, we try and move that and give it a more prominent position. It, we try and run with what we think is, is the coolest in, in most situations, to be blunt. But um, that we could probably do a better job of trying to educate people on, on – I love what Dawkins said about starting with a base layer because most people, they don't look at that first. They look at that fancy new jacket that they want, and they don't, they don't think about their – they're socks, right? How important are those? <laughs> Not very sexy, but um, yeah, I, w when we lay out the magazine, we're thinking of um, what's newest and most exciting, what we think will work the best and, and what we're excited about, frankly. Is, uh, is it the same way at the store level, Kelly, that that has to be an easy transition from place to place within that store in the apparel department? How do you do what Dawkins just said? How do you get them to stop at that base layer because it's like skip said it might not have the camo on it is it is it something to do with the hang tags and the pos is there are these manufacturers doing a great job where when you walk into final flight you see this pos display that dawkins words and what he comes up with on educating that consumer of which piece you want you might be hunting in tennessee where it never gets out of the 50s let's say whatever you know like are, is are the is the consumer being educated every step he or she takes within the the walls yeah, I, a lot of that responsibility too, you know, comes with our partners. 
you know, with, with like Josh and Bandit and us and Drake, and we can go on down the list of the different clothing manufacturers. But we feel like as a retailer that we have a, a lot of responsibility to tell the, the brand story. You know, I know with, with our catalog, for example, you know, we partner with Bandit and Drake and the different companies to, to where they'll help us do the layouts and because they can tell their story the best. You know, I can do a certain layout, but I might misinterpret their message or what the, exactly the products are made of. Furthermore, the in the in store experience, all of our employees, uh, I encourage them when when customers are not around, go and look at hang tags. I want them to know where the product's made, how it's made, the garments it's made out of, um, and we have we have reps that come in, whether they're independent reps or the owners of the company. Fortunately for us, you know, yes, the Waterfowl community is a small community, but we're good friends with the owners and and guys like Josh and people that that are involved with these apparel companies. And they help train us. They help train our staff. So when that product comes in, we can relay the correct message to the consumer about what the product's made for, how you would want to use this product in certain environments, how you would want to start with a base layer like Josh mentioned. You know, all of those go hand in hand. And we feel like we have a great responsibility because, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we're a retailer, but we like to say we're partners with our manufacturers and there's a certain responsibility that comes with that and however we can do our part and relay that message in a face-to-face manner, then that's where we can really help the consumer and help the manufacturer. And we all win. How important is that doc? And for the consumer after he or she gets out of that wildfowl magazine and they, they go into the retailer, they go online is a lot of your day in your position docking with banded laying this story out, laying this education, educational process out of the POS and the displays that somebody like the Powers family is going to rely on to get in that message and detail to the customer? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we, we have a website, but, but all of my time is spent uh, building information and the, um, both, both for the retailer and for the consumer to buy at the retail level. And like Kelly said, we, we basically think of the retailer, our retail partners like Final Flight as, as extensions of our brand. And they're really the front facing component to talk to the consumer. So um, yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, developing the message out uh, so that um, it can be understood what they're buying. Uh, what, you know, like when Kelly goes to write his orders for the year, he, he understands what he's going to be offering the consumer and then um, trying to help uh, the best I can to make sure that the consumer understands what the, why they should buy it. Is, and then what about first to market doc? And how does it come in when Kelly's talking about and referring to the different fabrics and the different technology that's out there? Is it important to be first to market with that? Or is there exclusivity on some of this technology that some of these brands can only use that brand has it, you know, exclusive. How do you figure that out in your head, doc? And of being like, okay, we have to show this. We have to show the experience and tell the story of this brand. Are you selling the banded product on the story or, or is it that much more technically, um, you know, supported with the, the fabrics and everything that you're talking about? Is it advanced compared to other brands or is this a culture based sale and a story based sale with a quality product? to back it up because I, a lot of these manufacturers i assume have the rights or the ability to get the same technology is that fair to say or is that false so uh i think that that the quick answer is it's false um there are some there are proprietary technologies and um and and, and though there may be some similarities there's there's differences too and um i 
I think that we are telling a story with our brand of what we stand for and, and what we believe in. And that is also the same story that, that we tell through the products um, and, and what we make because, because at the core, uh, and I'm not saying that other uh, uh, waterfowl uh, apparel manufacturers aren't this, but I, but I know what we are and, 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 and Kelly can attest to this and, and you can too, Chad, but we, we are all, we're duck hunters here in this office. Like there, we have, we have very few people. I mean, very few who've never duck hunted who work for us and, and they would be, and they would be somebody who was not making a product related decision. So um, everything we make, you know, sounds cliche, but it comes from the field. It comes from practical functional use. And then how can we make it better? So, so that's where it starts. And then from there, um, you know, we're constantly looking at the market, constantly aspiring to, to find what's next, the next innovations. And, and from there, we find these new technologies, which, which come across. And, and though in a lot of ways you can't reinvent the wheel, you know, through time, there's always something, always something new happens. And so there isn't, there is new technologies out there and, uh, and they will come. And, and I hope that, you know, we're the brand that re- releases them. And, without I know that Kelly educates and his at the store management level to not be biased during this experience or this educational process for the end consumer but do you does it make sense Kelly that these these associates in the at the store level on your sales floor they know this story that Dawkins referring to do you want your sales associates and I know you you mentioned reading the hang tags and stuff but when you when Dawkins sits down and plans out this let's say a quote unquote planogram for the marketing for 2020-21 in accordance to Skip's magazine that him and Landon are getting ready to release at Wildfowl is there is there a, a pride taken to be that retailer that that does a better job with the banded story and takes it to the next level because the associates are so are so versed in it yeah, I mean, the general rule that we tell our, our uh, staff is, you know, not to be overly persuasive, you know, not to show bias. And I think that's that way you're staying neutral. You can say, in my opinion, I like, you know, for example, me personally, goodness, I like, I love hooded, pull, hooded you know, sweatshirts and pullovers. I've, I've got some from every brand, you know, and there's bits and pieces that I like about each one. It doesn't mean one brand is better than the other by chance. I mean, there's some features that I like better, but goodness, I just, they're all fairly, fairly nice. But the shopping experience that the consumer can get, if you can steer them in the right direction and state factual information, you know, if you're going to be hunting in rain, I would steer toward this garment because of the waterproofing. If you're going to be hunting in wind, I would steer toward this garment because of the windproof liner. Those kind of factual information uh, is helpful without necessarily showing bias. Uh, but then all also is to kind of be a mouthpiece for the brand as well when something new is launched. When Bandit has something new um, this year, you know, then, then new fabric, uh, new technology, you know, tell that story without being biased and saying, hey, man, this is the greatest thing ever. This is all you need, you know, uh, even though you may feel that way, but just try to keep an open mind to where the consumer can decide. And we found when you put all the brands up and you try to give them equal space, uh, the cream of the crop rises in their, in their categories. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going to Canada. This obviously might be far fetched because we don't know if that's going to happen right now. Let's all keep our fingers crossed. 
I'm going to be up yeah. there mid-September through the first 10 days of October, Josh Dawkin. I'm going to be mainly concentrating on wheat and pea fields. The temperatures are going to be anywhere from, I'm not going to do the Fahrenheit deal. I mean, the Celsius deal here, but it's going to be anywhere from lows of 20 to 30 with a high of 45. I need a great pair of bibs. What does the consumer look for in that pair of bibs when he's either reading a description in Wildfowl or the Final Flight Catalog or Banded.com? You're a dryland hunter, Josh. You grew up hunting a lot of Canada geese in Minnesota. What do I look for as a new hunter being a dryland mallard duck and Canada goose hunter in a pair of bibs? So I think you're going to look you know, uh, for factual information first. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of fluff there, but you're going to want to try to find out the technical features. Is it waterproof? Is it breathable? Is it windproof? Um, you know, what kind of abrasion resistance does it have and uh, durability, but you're going to want to find out, you know, th- those type of things first. And once you identify those things, they kind of guide you into the temperature based thing. And you, you mentioned some temperatures that, that are quite different at, t- at 20 degrees and 45 degrees. Um, you're going to want to have options. And, that, and that's why I go back to, to the layering system and going lighter. Another reason, because it gives you, it gives you options, even in the field um, versus if you just put on the heaviest, thickest thing you can find. And Kelly, if I'm going to be looking for a, I'm a timber hunter and I want a bag that is going to let me operate with ease. Once I'm at my tree, what am I looking for in a timber bag I'm going to Arkansas for the first time and I want to look, I want to be organized and I want to be stealth. What does this bag have to have in Kelly Powers' opinion? Well, you, you've got to have good shoulder straps because you got to, most of the time you're waiting in or walking in at long distances. So it's got to be portable. Um, that, that's number one. If it's, if you're going in by boat, well then that's, you know, you could go to just a regular shoulder strap and not necessarily the backpack straps. If you're a weight in hunter, I think you would narrow in towards, you know, your backpack style. Um, number two, some type of waterproof bottom. Uh, if this is going to be hanging on a tree limb where the bottom is going to be close to the surface of the water, you want some type of waterproof bottom uh, if available. If you're going to hang it up high, it's, it's a little different. Uh, not only that, then some type of functionality, whether you're you're hanging on a tree limb or a strap that'll go around the tree, you know, and, and, and there's different manufacturers. Bandit has some great different designs and cool stuff uh, from a feature standpoint to where you can hang it around a tree uh, or hang it on a tree limb. Uh, and then pocket features. Obviously, your most your most used pocket is a shell pocket. Uh, if you're not going to put shells in your uh, in your jacket, well, then some readily accessible pocket that's easy to open and that normally would stay open, where your shells aren't going to pour out. So there's a lot of different feature things that go into play there. But my opinion, I like a small st- style backpack um, that is, you know, I, I try not to carry too much stuff. But then you've got to have your essentials, you know, your gun or your your shells, your gloves, uh, a headlight, stuff like that. So um, I try to have the essentials and where it's small and portable. But me personally, in a timber scenario, I love a backpack. Josh, why why did it get so did it take a manufacturer long longer than it should have? In my opinion, tell me if I'm wrong the chest pockets for your hands when you're in a hunting scenario. Timber might be at Kelly. You know what I'm talking about. Skip, you know it. These are the best things ever invented, in my opinion, as a hunter, instead of just always having, you know, a front belly pocket or something that was just regular standard pockets. Is that become customary now, Josh, to where most of the cuts are going to have that type of a pocket? Or is that something that's more of a timber scenario? Where do you see how does a manufacturer go about pocket placement and the, the usability 
the functionality of a pocket because some of them have been put in places to where they never get used. Some of them never, they're not comfortable enough to use. They're not practical. How important is pocket placement and how much time is banded and other manufacturers need to be thinking about that? So it's funny. I I had thought about this uh, like this until you brought up that question, but pockets really are, um, really are a great depiction of a brand's, um, authenticity in the space, because the only way, you know, if a pocket is right or good, like the upper hand warmers is if it's been, if, if it's been, if you were out there in the water, standing there realizing, Oh, I don't have any pockets. I need to put them up. You know I mean? That's the only way you find that out. So, um, I I think that, and, and to to answer your question, first question, why it's, it's taken so long for that to happen or however long it was or, or why, um, pocket advancements keep advancing. I think it's just because, you know, there's not, there's not, there's not a lot of, uh, waterfowl, specifically waterfowl clothing manufacturers out there. And it was probably that, you know, the, you know, Kelly's grandfather and, and, and people back then didn't have a, a manufacturer to say, Hey, y- y'all need to put some hand pockets up here. So I, I think that that's just becoming more and more common. I think that it's really a young, a young sport as far as, uh, it's, it's not young in sport. It's young in, in, in product, um, in, in current modern products. So I think that it's just going to continue to advance. We put a lot of emphasis on pockets and, and you try to, the, one, one challenge is you try not to, you try to evolve and advance and innovate, but you also got to watch yourself because you can, it can get to be where it's gimmicky. Like you're just, like, you're just trying to find another pocket to put on it. Um, so you try to stay practical too, but a lot of time goes into the, a lot of time goes into the cut, the pockets, the, uh, you know, everything like everything from, um, you know, the adjustable cuffs, the zip out liners. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, add on, um, kind of accessory type, uh, components to just the base cut, um, uh, that, that get a lot of thought. Kelly, when you wake up in the morning, could, and you're going hunting now because you hunt a lot. You, you're quiet. You're the quiet assassin because you just stay quiet. There's not a lot of social media fluff out there about KP. You choose that lifestyle. It's very, very, pre- it's, I love it. I love how you've done it. But when you think about where waders have come from, from when you and your brothers and your dad were starting, mm-hmm. we're on the river and in your holes, is it one, is it probably the biggest advancement in, in the history of hunting? And I'm talking high power rifles to optics, to everything. These waders that are available now for a duck hunter, the breathability, the warmth, the, the insulation, the, the 2.0 from banded and the lighting systems and the pocket placement and the cell phone. I mean, just, could you ever imagine the Cadillacs that we get to walk out into the woods or the marsh with now? Yeah. I mean, goodness i mean when i first started hunting it was just the rubber waders that's all you could get and then and then uh, i believe what was it the brush tough lacrosse had the brush tough the canvas you know style uh were great and goodness you could run through a seemed like a briar thicket with them and not get any you know tears but then again the weight of them were, were heavy and, and and not just lacrosse but i mean that's all that was available from a material standpoint and then then the transition went to neoprene and and neoprene you know I always, always made the, the, the statement with, with whether it's gloves or waders or whatever, you know, you're taking a, a fabric that is a four-way stretch fabric that is waterproof that's going to go in water that absorbs water. So when you come out of the water, if the air temperature is below freezing, well, now you're froze stiff. 
So uh, neoprene has some benefits and some fabrics, but when it's going to go in water, it just seems like it, you know, when it's out of the water, it freezes stiff. It seems like there's better materials. And then it goes into the innovations that you're seeing waiter makers make today with the, the breathable style fabrics, with the pull out insulation and stuff like that. And, you know, with the breathable fabrics that are abrasion resistant on the outside, the insulation on the inside, it's probably half of the weight of neoprene and and the old style canvas waders, it's just a better product. And 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 Doc will agree with this. All waders, you know, man, waders is a absolute very difficult thing to manufacture and to make um, because you're appealing to different style hunting. Uh, and then a lot of people are hard on waders. They're just hard on a pair of waders. So the, the manufacturers have the odds stacked against them to make a waiter that is very very durable, that's going to last and, and 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 to be waterproof. But for the most part, um, our manufacturers that are out there today have done a pretty good job. And not only they, they've done a good, good job manufacturing, they, the service end of it has been outstanding. Kelly Powers, and then docking on this, and Skip, you can touch on this. How long should a pair last? If a, if a, if a cu- customer comes through Final Flight's door on you know two months into the season, and he's just hunted 60 days or whatever from Canada down to Tennessee – what do we tell these guys? How long are they supposed to act? Yes, they do cost some money, but everything comes with a cost. This isn't something to where, you know, you're, you're, you're taking care of it like a car, even though you can bundle them up and put them in a bag and and dry them out and make sure that they don't rot and stuff like that. But you're walking through stumps, you're getting in and out of boats, you're getting in and out of blinds There's sharp stuff. How long is a pair of waders supposed to last Kelly powers? If you, because we hunt, Uh, man, that's a loaded, yeah, so that's a loaded question. So f- for us, we actually, and, and Bandit helped provide this, we have a dunk tank. So if you're a c- customer, you come in to Final Flight with a pr- pair of wet waders. First thing that we do is we go into the back and we literally have a tank that we put an air hose inside it. We blow the all the waders up like a balloon and then it dunks them underwater. So what we can identify then at that point, we can identify where the point of entry is. Now, if it's at a seam, and then then that that highlights us to okay, this is possibly a manufacturer defect if it's within a certain time frame. So then that that steers us down to one road. If it's not in a seam, well, then it can show us to where there was a rip, and then that falls back on the consumer, you know, and that's a that's a, a point of abuse. So if that's the road you go on, then what we do is we we find aftermarket products that can help patch that, whether there's waiter patches, glue, or whatever. But for us. When you blow that thing up with air, it doesn't lie. You're going to see exactly where the point of entry is, where the water comes through. It helps. Not only that, a lot of times the boots don't leak. They just don't leak. People are hunting and they're sweating and not realizing how warm the boots are. And when they take their clothes off, their pants legs are wet. Uh, But when we blow them up with air and and, and we'll bring the the customer back there and say, hey, look at this. And they'll look at it like, well, yeah, you're right. Because it doesn't, it doesn't lie when the waders are blown up with air and there's not any air bubbles that come up, then there's not a leak. And when he's describing that feeling around your socks and your calves, Josh Dawkins, the breathability, you're down in Arkansas, it's getting a little bit warmer in the morning. Sometimes it does feel wet. Sometimes it feels like there might be a leak and then you take it off and you're like, wait a minute, it was just air passing through that it's breathing and it might be hitting a little, you know, sweat or moisture on your body. 
do you, I, I think that a lot of people think that that might be a leak in this dunk tank, obviously, Doc, and was put into effect at our retail level to be able to say, hey, no, this is this is what's going on. You Be rest assured you're not getting wet from water leaking through your waders. Um, so to your, to your point, we call it condensation and it does happen and it happens a lot, especially, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, 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 the downfalls to, to technological advancement is we find out things along the way that we weren't prepared to talk about or, or answer. And one of those things is in breathable waders when, when you, because the temperature is changing, uh, between the fabrics on the inside and outside so much because you're getting that hot air out, um, you do, you do can experience some condensation and it can be enough to where, uh, when you take it, uh, when you take the waders off, you're seeing some, some, um, moisture down there. And like Kelly said, we, we, uh, we found that out early on too. And, and so that's why we were one of, one of the brands who've, who've been kind of influencing the, the, the test tanks so that we could show like, Hey, no, the, the, in some cases, in not all cases, but in some cases, hey, there's we're pumping a lot of PSI of air into this thing. It would it will bubble if there's a if there's a leak. Um, so we, so we do that. Now, um, I would also say it, it's just you're talking about one of the most challenging things because one water is the only thing in the world that can't be contained, right? And you, and we're trying to do it in a waiter, and then we're going to do it in the worst temperature out there, and then we're going to do it in the toughest conditions out there. So I mean, it, it's it's um it's a challenge and it's not something that we say, Oh, we've done a good job. Uh, this far we've, we've, we've gone away from neoprene. Let's, uh, let's just hang our hat. We're, we're going to continue to keep pushing, uh, that, that category forward and figure out how to make it more and more durable. And, but at the same time also affordable because there are ways to do it to where, you know, you got to take out a, a house mortgage to, 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 to contain water. But, um, we, uh, we, it's it's an it's an always ever ever evolving uh, innovative category for sure. I lo- I think the evolution of waiters is so so awesome. There needs to be a documentary on it, Kelly. You should star in that, host it <laughs> with your with your looks, Kelly. It's been six months almost since Shot Show. About six months, five months. It's been five months since Shot Show. Five times thirty five. Skip, help me out. Five times thirty. 150 days, Kelly Powers. Um, gear issues getting ready to drop. Wildfowl 2020-21 duck season gear issue. What are you excited about, Kelly? You see box after box after freaking box of gear getting dropped off at your distribution center daily. Dawkins has sample after sample after sample flooding his table and his desk and his probably his bed. His wife's probably over the samples. Is there anything that gets you two individual gentlemen fired up when you live in it and you literally are wading through product every day? Are you excited? Is the gear issue going to get people fired up? What are you guys interested and excited to see? Goodness, that's a tough question. You know, uh, Josh, I, I was like Hunter McLemore, which is, you know, obviously one of, one of the reps and me and him had the same discussion. And Hunter said, you know, being in the industry since he was in diapers in a sense because of his dad's involvement he's kind of numb to a lot of the new products that come out because it's, he's seen so much. And, and a lot of that comes with me. It's just, you, you know, it's, you, you kind of get numb to it, but let us not kid ourselves. You know, there are times that I even walk through the store and I'm like, goodness, I didn't know that was out. And and even though me and Josh have been emailing each other back and forth about laying the catalog out about those exact products. But until I saw it myself, 
or you see it in, in, a, in like the Wildfowl Magazine ad or whatever, um, you know, you still get excited. Uh, there are different there are different innovations in fabric. Um, obviously, with camouflage patterns, that creates interest. Uh, and I can tell you first and foremost, you know, our slowest times of the year at our, our walk-in store uh, is probably, you know, the months of May and June. And come July, from the first, you know, first 20 days of July, uh, traffic really picks up. Now, this is on a normal year. Uh, this year's been crazy for other reasons. But um, on a normal year, July picks up. Um, and and the, the direct result of that, it's when your gear issues hit, your catalogs hit, not just Final Flight's catalog, Max's catalog, all the other ones hit. Um, and it helps everybody. I mean, when Max Catalog hit, it helps all of the other mom and pop retailers around that people may sit in Max Catalog and they just, they go into another local store or they order it from Max or they sit in Final Flight's catalog, they order from Final Flight. When those hit, uh, it helps everybody. And especially when the wildfowl gear issue hits, it coincides with all of those catalogs hitting. Uh, and it's great. Then when we get into the month of August, it, it's a little bit starts to lull out a little bit toward the end of August and even September. Um, and then when October hits, it really starts picking back up for the waterfowl season. But the month of July, it's kind of your, your interest peak because of catalogs and magazines and new products are kind of hitting, hitting the shelves. And most retailers in the South have a July 1 to July 15th to August 1st delivery date. So they're receiving most of their new items, you know, around that July 1 timeframe. Um, and our customers are trained to that and they realize that. Doc, and get us fired up. Kelly just did a great job at setting the time frame. Get us fired up for when this, for this cover's opened up and people get to see Wildfowl. Is there something new from Bandit? I know there's proprietary information. I know that we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but what are they going to see? Can we? Is there a new waiter coming? Is there a new jacket? Are the women, women hunters going to be fired up for what Bandit's bringing to the table? Get us a little bit excited and get us through some of these dog days of summer. Well... We do we do have some really exciting innovations coming for this year, and I, I'm not gonna I, I I don't want to say we don't have anything for women because I'm not sure. I think we I think we maybe have some new products in those categories, um, but our our biggest um, our biggest initiative this year is we're, we're launching a, a line. I was talking about the innovation of of technologies and fabrics and and waders, and and we're we, we've teamed up with a uh, a a new uh, technology company that makes membranes. Uh, and and we're we're going to bring something that's never been brought to the hunting world before, and it is uh, it is truly uh, an, a difference maker in in terms of comfort and and moving moisture away from the skin and keeping moisture out the skin. Um, and inside that line, there's uh, there's going to be a waiter jacket, a uh, couple jackets, um, some gloves, beanies, some core products. But it's it's uh, it's 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 uh, the, the name of that line is the Aspire Collection, and and so um, inside of all those, those products and, and aspiring for new innovations and all that, there's also a, a, a customer experience that's going to be um, uh, in with that too. And, and, and it is, a, it is all, all about um, aspiring for more, looking further, dreaming bigger, pushing limits. It's, uh, it's, a, it's going to be a, it's been a, a, a very uh, time consuming and, 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 uh, dutiful task, but it's, it's definitely, uh, starting to kind of come to fruition and re- releasing these, uh, print ads to magazines and, and kind of, um, helping Kelly with the, the catalog pages was the first time that I had laid out, 
you know, a page to the consumer. And it was, it was, it was kind of surreal, also challenging because there's so much information uh, in the, in those little fibers that I'm, I'm trying to convey. So um, that, that the Aspire collection, um, and we'll have more info on that soon. It it is, it is by far our biggest, uh, our biggest initiative for this year. Aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E. Kelly, you can't say Tennessee, and you definitely cannot say the family farm. <laughs> COVID hits, and you only get one hit, one hunt this season. I don't care when it is. It has to take place between October to January 31st. I'm going to say February 15th, just in, in case you want to say the front range of Colorado. Where are you going? You're probably going to be taking Kip and in in your boy. Where are you going? Who are you with? What are you chasing? And what are you wearing? Oh, well, we, we already know you're wearing bandits, so you don't even have to answer that last question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Saskatchewan is near and dear to my heart. I mean, I, I love the love it. Uh, I wish it was a closer drive. Um, if if they ever open the border back up, and they will, but you know, when they do, that's where I want to be. Uh, outside of my home, home area, uh, that's it's just and and not any. And listen, we've all been fortunate to hunt all over all over the whole province, and even other provinces, Alberta as well, and Manitoba. People ask me, well, where do you like going? This it's all Canada. I've been to some places that you can get your limit quicker than others. But at the end of the day, it's just unbelievable. The vastness of the area, the people are great. Uh, it's like a home away from home for me. So that's probably where I'm going. So are you hunting mallards over mojos in a pea field and just swatting them when they come in there? Or are you challenging yourself a little bit and going after canvas backs on a big body of water? What are you doing? In, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing I, in Saskatchewan? I love, I love hunting mallards and Canada geese. That's my, that's my two specialties. I mean, you know, people, when I got into goose calling, they said, "What's a goose caller doing in Tennessee?" And I said, "Man, listen, I'm I I started out hunting tim you know hunting timber and hunting mallards. So mallards is near and dear to my heart, uh, but I do like to hunt the Canada geese as well." And when you say Canada geese, do you do you get to do that much anymore, or is it is Tennessee have, have Canada geese? You have to travel. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, nothing, nothing from a migratory stance anymore. I mean, very few numbers, you know, but for the most part, you know, if you shoot a Canada goose here in Tennessee, uh, it is a, it is a resident now. And, and that's unfortunate. When I was, when I was a lot younger, you know, it was different, but uh, not now it's, it's a sad state. So most of my Canada goose hunting is, is up North, you know, in, in, in some of the Northern States or in, into Canada. And Skip, I, I'm going to assume that you're wearing a pair of Crocs with knee socks pulled up, a pair of khaki shorts with a camouflage jacket on and a goofy fishing hat, and you're jump shooting wood ducks in North Carolina. Is that your kind of choice? Yes, and you'll be right there by my side. <laughs> tell me where you, tell me where you tell hey, nothing against the Carolinas and nothing against wood ducks. I'm just saying that I think that that's a big reason why a lot of Carolinians and a lot of Georgians travel. There's a lot of outfitters in Arkansas and other states that'll tell you a big part of their customer base comes out of that southeast region of the country because there's not a lot of prolific mallard duck or puddle duck hunting. Where are you going, Skip? Are you going somewhere because you've been all over the world with Terry Demon and Ramsey Russell? Is it are you going to Peru or are you going to Arkansas? I uh, well, you can't go to Arkansas till later, but um, 
it's funny. A lot, so many things flashed through my head when you said that. Like, I had a, a burner teal hunt on uh, Vanamore's place a couple of years ago, but the, the highlight of that hunt was going out with Aaron McCauley and uh, shooting 25 of those little rail birds a piece and the way he cooked them. And just that whole experience was so immersive and unforgettable. And then I've had so many Canada hunts. It's like Kelly was talking about. It, it, seemed, it starts to feel like nothing can rival it. But I have, I've had hunts in southwest Nebraska that actually were better than Canada, that were just mind-blowing. And for both uh, greenhead mallard ducks and the biggest Canada geese, you know, that exist. And I would do anything to do that, repeat that. And not to uh, not to pander, but you were talking to me at SHOT Show, showing me pornographic piles of, of speckle-bellied geese. And I've always wanted to do go to California and experience that. And you were like, let's get some dates in early December. I like new experiences as well as the comfortable old ones. And I'd always love to go to South Texas because that's where I first started as a five-year-old following my dad through the marsh, you know, down near Corpus Christi. Well, plan on the plan on the California specs, 10 birds a man per day. And we eat almost everyone we kill the day we kill them. They're amazing. Josh Dawkin, is there a such thing as Canada goose hunting in Minnesota anymore? Is Rochester still have meaning to the Canada goose hunter? And forgive me for my ignorance, but is there a duck season in Minnesota? And if so, is there any success on ducks in Minnesota? And I, I, there, there was, there was 10 years ago. I haven't looked at the season since. Um, <laughs> I swear. No, I haven't. I, you know, I'm down here now. Um, and I just don't, don't, don't make it that time of year. So bad. I don't make it back up there much. Um, so the, I can tell you that the, uh, the goose hunting was, was always great there. It, it, you could you could argue that the old the older folks would argue that it wasn't as good as it used to be. Uh, it was still plenty good to me, um, and the duck hunting was tough, very tough, very tough. Now, Kelly, when you think about your mentor in goose calling, rest in peace, TG. What comes to mind of Tim's choice of apparel? Was he committed? to Nat gear his entire career. Remember the cornfield camo days when it was him and Freddie and a couple and, and Alan and Gary McCree. And I think maybe even Sean, man, what, what do you visualize right now when he, he calls you tomorrow morning? Hey, bub, we're going here in, the, in October. Um, uh, what's what, what do you, what goes through your mind about Tim these days? Is it still vivid of all of the experiences that you have? Because the dude is literally unforgettable. Do you still think about him a lot? And is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, I actually made the comment um, a couple of days ago. I'd give anything to uh, talk to Tim to hear his take on this whole virus situation because he would have some great one-liners about our whole situation and and uh, whether how you feel about it. He would always have a pretty interesting take, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, Tim was always a Nat Gear guy. He he wore the the Nat, Nat Gear camo um and he loved it uh, i mean from a concealment standpoint that's just what it was and, and hunter even still to this day you know love, loves the camo and and that but no man tim was tim was great and always would have some interesting comments um and again goodness i couldn't imagine what his comments would be about the whole coronavirus and the whole whole situation it, he would um you know he would always have a i guarantee you he'd have an interesting take and, and you would have some funny funny quotes coming from it Oh, 100%. I miss him. I miss talking to him some. Uh, uh, I don't know what he would say about the coronavirus, but I know he'd be thinking about what it, what it was going to do to his duck and goose season. Is, um, is there anything else, Skip, that we can talk to our readers of Wildfowl about? Can we tell them 
what they can look forward to? Is it going to be more social media? Is there going to be more interactive website? Can they get more instruction from the Skip Knowles Laden Force crew at Intermedia and Wildfowl? And when can they get started? When should they get started? Should somebody be practicing their duck calling right now, Skip? What do you practice right now, Skip, besides haircuts and stuff? Like, are you are you fired up for the season? What is going on in your mind right now of how we can take that experience to this to this reader? And when should they start getting ready for that? I kind of joked at the the catalog when it, uh, the catalogs come out and and uh, the big gear issue come out. It kind of provides a cheerleader effect because you can look at a duck call and you can look at some waiters over here. You can see a few things in a store, but when you see it all together at once, all that gear, that's what just blows your mind, man. Then, then you throw in three or four experiential stories uh, that really get the heart going, a bunch of techniques that make you feel like you can do it and you can go out there and kill something. Because uh, Josh talked about it a little bit earlier. He's like, you know what duck hunters love is duck hunting. And even aspirational duck hunters, they want to see birds. And what we do is we're going to try to give them every advantage and that they can to do that, you know, to explain to them that maybe neoprene waders, a lot of people love them. They can be super durable and comfortable. To me, they feel like a giant knee brace and never dry out, you know, and I haven't worn them in years. And we're going to give people those insights that, that they might not find anywhere else and help them make decisions about this great American waterfowling tradition that we're so proud of and we all want to perpetuate. and and maximize our participation in. Kelly, but just your other question, we are trying to, uh, absolutely, you're going to see it. Wildfowl's been a powerful print name for so long, and we're, we're, we have, we're uniquely positioned with Outdoor Sportsman's Group to uh, uh, convey a message across all of our platforms, and we're uni uniquely positioned to do that, and we're absolutely committed to it. And you're going to see a lot, an escalation in that direction. I'm no longer considered a, a print magazine editor, but a brand manager. And, and yes, we're going to see a lot more excitement in that way. So you, will, you, will you be able to approach Kelly Powers and get him to lay down a short read goose calling tutorial on wildfowl.com and have somebody be able to go there and learn how to blow a goose call from Kelly Powers? Can they go on there and find Josh Dawkins and he can teach them a little bit about waders? Is there going to be an interactive part of this to where you're going to have people with some credibility within the industry educating your online, your online reader and subscriber? We've absolutely um, gotten a new budget that's never existed to do exactly that to answer your question, because it always comes down to what is Neil Davis at Hornady says, he says, money. Uh, what was the question? He goes, the answer is money. Well, what was the question? <laughs> well, my company, my, I my love company, Neil Davis. Great. He actually, our company's committed funds to each editor and each brand to actually do exactly what you're talking about. What I would like from uh, uh, KP there, though, is uh, a short video. The first thing I would like from him is a short video of that that waiter tank immersion with a pair of leaky waiters. That's gotta yeah. be, it's gotta be something to see. <laughs> I think it's Done. Pretty cool. We can, we can pull that off. <laughs> well, let's hope they're not yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I was asking because doc and I don't, I hunt quite a bit more than most. I think I would think, but I don't, my waiters never leak. They just don't. So I just, I just want to get it out there that I know it can happen. And I know there is going to be a manufacturer defect once in a while, but it just, if you, if you, if you hunt hard, these waiters are going to last, but I, I want to, I don't know if the mindset should be like, I'm going to spend this much money on waiters and I'm going to get five seasons out of them. I don't think that's fair to the manufacturer. If you hunt hard. It is, it is, an, it is an interesting, uh, we, I talk, I, I have this thought a lot. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought 
no matter where you land on it of, of, because, because when something does fail, you hear, well, I, I used it two times and it failed. Okay. That doesn't sound like a lot of times, but what were you doing in those two times? Um, and how did you care for it afterwards? So it, it is interesting that, um, and I think that's just going to vary depending on, uh, the value to each person and, and they're in the environment that they're in. But um, one thing I'll add to that, Chad, is that uh, I I've noticed this a lot and I, and I actually have taken on a project um, which we'll have ready for this year on our website where, where one of the biggest reasons I think that, that, that a waiter will leak um, isn't, isn't necessarily what happens the day of the hunt it's what happens after the hunt because you're talking about the what's keeping this waiter from leaking and not waking is, is waterproof laminate tape. So just think, just take a piece of scotch tape, for example, and pretend that that's this uh, for the sake of the story. And then you're going to go out in the water and, and that's all that's keeping the water from coming in the stitch seam. Every, every, everything has, a, has to have a stitch seam. So the tape goes over that to protect it. Well, if you're going out in cold water and I see this all the time, guys will just take their waders off, throw them in the back of their truck and they'll, they'll sit bunched up like that. I mean, think, think about what's happened to that tape that whole time. And so I think it's just a matter of we've got to educate people on how to care for the product better. Um, not to where you have to, to, to inconveniently baby it the whole time. I think there's some education to do on, on how to take care of the product after the hunt, specifically waders where you have, you know, a piece of tape, uh, keeping the water out, hanging them in the right temperature and making sure that they yes. dry out the right way. And wash them off. Not wearing, uh, not wearing jeans, jeans underneath them. You know, mm-hmm. that's something people don't think about, but the, the denim, the roughed uh, abrasion and the, uh, and the seam on like a pair of blue jeans, you rub that against, ta- you know, anything that's going to, that's going to, uh, hinder the performance of the tape. I agree. But I think I, about the, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I was just saying, I, we just need to get people to think about, think about, think about tape. You know, there's, that's what it is. There's tape in there. And um, if you think about it like that, I think you, you take care of it differently. Is there a waiter out there through Bandit or any manufacturer, Josh Dawkins, that does not have what you're describing? Is there another technology that takes care of that problem and there is no tape over a so seam? Not in, not in terms of breathable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh uh, not in terms of, of, of waterproof, breathable waders. Now, um, now there, there may be some that, that use like a, uh, uh, where, where it's, where it's in different places, like where it's just down by the boot or something like that. But at some point you have to connect fabric t- together or at the boot. And so there's going to be some, some version of a seam. Um, and, and in that case, you use a waterproof laminate tape. Um, so, so you, you regardless of what you use, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, uh, um, you know, accommodate that. Are you comfortable with telling uh, myself what arc welded means when it comes to a bag or a a certain design? Do you guys hear the word arc welded before Kelly? Yep. Oh yeah. Josh, are you comfortable in telling me what that means? So I have a good understanding and definition of arc welded. Yeah. So, so it's just, it's, it's hypersonic bonding basically. So you're basically taking two pieces of fabric and, and, and gluing them together without the stitch. So 
So generally you would take two pieces of fabric and I'm using my hands. I don't know why, why I'm doing this, but you take two pieces of fabric, put them together <laughs> and then stitch them together. Right. Um, the, uh, the, the arc welded basically just, just glues that seals them together, <laughs> seals them together, uh, without a stitch. And then it's taped, um, that's taped out. So you're, so you're essentially you're removing the stitch hole, which is a, which is a failure point, it was a potential failure point. And Josh, where could our listener and wildfowl reader go to? Is there a page dedicated this at banded.com that will educate them in all of the different styles of, of the banded waiter system? Um, as far as which waiter to buy or as far as how to care for them? Everything. Is there going to be that in this experience that you're talking about where the end consumer is going to be able to, uh, you know, entrust and banded to give them the A to Z about our waiters? Oh yeah. Uh, it'll be, it'll be at bandit.com. Uh, all of that will live at bandit.com. I don't, I was going to give you a specific URL, but I don't know what, what the later part of that question will be yet, but it will be there. Um, it'll, it'll be in a, in a place probably, uh, labeled care and, and, uh, care instructions or something like that. Or, well, I'm excited there, I'm excited for the season guys. I appreciate all of your time in your, your credibility and all of the information that you guys have been able to put into your brains over the year. There's so much, there's so much information out there thrown at a waterfowl hunter and it becomes controlling. It can literally eat up. I mean, it's done it to me and I've gotten caught up in the game of how much gear, how, how big of a decoy spread do I need? How many jackets do I need? Do I need a pair of waders in every different camo the, things like wildfowl and finalflight.com and, and banded.com and all of, all of the messaging and content that, that your crews are putting out there that Seth's doing and that you're doing docking with the ambassadors and pro staff and, what what skip is doing with his writers and all of his independents and his editors we 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 have the ability to tell these stories and we have the ability to give somebody the upper hand when it comes to making a decision it might not be we're, we're telling it we're giving them our opinion of why we choose to do it this way but there's so many different ways to hunt ducks and to hunt geese and to dress for it and to prepare for it and to be good at it and how you measure success is up to you um, piles make smiles I don't know if that's the case in waterfowling I don't think I think that that's a phase that you're going to go through but I think that there's so much cool in innovation and cool information out there that that people like yourselves and Skip and his crew and Wildfowl Magazine and all these catalogs and these websites and social media and TV shows, everything that's out there, we're living in the golden age of waterfowl hunting. We have a lot of ducks and geese in the flyways. We have a lot of access to hunt them. And we have retailers and manufacturers and magazines, online and periodicals that give us this information to be successful. We, the playbook's right there in front of us is the American Waterfowl Hunter. And I think that it's awesome that you guys are able to come on here and also open the doors to your store and your website and the manufacturing process and your writing to give that that woman or that man or that kid an upper hand in making decisions because I don't think it's easy. I think it's a heck of a sport. I think it's rewarding as heck, but I think to get good at it, it takes a lot of insight and a lot of preparation. Kelly, you've been on the warpath and waterfowl calling. You were there from 95 until 2010, won the Worlds in 99, the champion of champions in 2000. That's 20 years ago already, Kelly. You were, you were 20 years old when you won the champion of champions and you're still at it. You're still 
feel eaten up with it. This rules your life. We merely exist in a duck's world. And that's why this information is so key to me. Having friends like you guys come on here and educate the listener, the in consumer, the reader. I think it's awesome. I think that we're onto something. And I, I, I just want to say thank you to both you and Doc and Skip. Thanks for putting this together. This has been the apparel edition of the Wildfowl Magazine 2020-2021 gear issue at your newsstands right now in your mailbox right now or next week, sometime coming up. It's not as cool as Hugh Hefner once thought his magazine was, but it's very, very close. Skip Knowles, let's always remember that. Kelly, any closing words? Kelly, no, don't, man, I- Kelly don't ask me who Hugh Hefner was because I'm not going into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I appreciate to be a part of this, you know, and and not only that, thanks to Wildfowl for for exciting consumers that help the retailers that help the brand. I think I can speak on behalf of Abandoned and Josh and all the manufacturers. The the gear guide helps all of us, uh, and not only that, it helps translate the message to the duck hunter and get them excited for the fall. So we appreciate what Wildfowl does and in, in, in that regard, Doc. Yeah, uh, I echo that. It's uh, it's 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 great to have a good, credible. Uh, I think credible is important there. Um, source to have the stuff that you, you know you really can feel like there's there's nowhere else where I can go to find out what's new. This, I mean, nowhere else better to go to find out what's new. I mean, this is this is this has got what I need in it. Um, Wildfowl does that year after year. So, uh, yeah, thanks 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 for being the extension of our voice. And Skipper. What what Josh just said got me, everything you guys have said is, has gotten me so fired up to, to take it to the next level, spread out across the platforms, offer more information in many different directions. I hate to even try and talk after Chad's sermon there. It got me so pumped up for the season. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for the opportunity. And guys, I learned so much. It's got me really fired up again because you can get reach a point at homeostasis in a sport, you know, and, and just learning so much just now about the things I love and use and, and can educate people about. It, it's really, it's, it's inspiring again. So thank you all. Thank you, Skip. On Instagram, at Wildfowl Magazine, at Final Flight Outfitters, at Banded Brands. Look them up on all of their websites. Google them. Like Kelly Powers told me in a prior podcast, a lot of people don't even type in the URL anymore, according to Mr. KP. They Google it, and that's where that search engine and that SEO, and what is that search engine optimization, Josh Dawkins? Is that the correct term? Um it's it's you can find these guys look them up become the best duck and goose hunter that you can be don't judge your success on a limit please look at the heritage and the culture of this lifestyle how blessed we are to be an american a canadian duck hunter a goose hunter it's not entitlement we are not entitled to this lifestyle it could be taken away at any second let's fly the flags the right way let's be good ambassadors good and good voices of our heritage our history the tradition of duck hunting goose hunting that we love so much for kelly powers at final flight outfitters josh dawkin at banded brands and avery outdoors and skip Knowles, the editor-in-chief and brand manager at wildfowl magazine look for the new gear issue at your newsstands and your mailbox this week Can't wait to see it and open those first couple pages and get fired up to get through these dog days of summer and get on with the duck season. Stay healthy. Take care of your families. Be a good community leader. We appreciate you listening to another edition of the Fowl Life Podcast, the Wild Fowl Gear Issue Series. I'm Chad Belding. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you all very much.